Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast. You know what? Probably need to insert some really hip, really cool music here, because we don't have any really hip, really cool music on this podcast. At least not yet, maybe one day. But what we do have is news you're not going to find easily anywhere else. For those who don't know, my name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marina journalist. And as a guy who's been deployed overseas and who was a big-time history buff even before that, I care a lot about our military, where they're at, where they might be going, what conflicts might be about to occur, because these things matter. They matter for almost a million-plus military vets out there. And so if you're a military member, a spouse of a military member, or a parent or grandparent of a military member, this is probably a great show for you to subscribe to. I'll keep you updated on foreign policy issues, but I don't do it like you'll see everywhere else. First of all, the media almost never covers the military or looming hotspots. But if they do, they overhype everything. And you guys know I'm telling you the truth. They scare you. They use lots of B-real video with explosions and flashing graphics. Their biggest desire is eyeballs and ad dollars. I promise you, and you can check the past year of archived editions, I do not overhype, exaggerate, or any of that. If anything, I almost downplay. It's a steady and calm voice that you'll find here. But on the flip side, foreign policy journals that do cover what we do as a military and as a country, they also fall short, in my opinion. Their articles are far too long, they're far too dense, and they're crammed with big words, technical mumbo-jumbo, and silly acronyms that only insiders truly know or understand. So... I couldn't find a show that met my needs, and I decided I would just create one. Once a week, I'll discuss military matters, while also adding in a little motivation, wisdom, and history. Besides covering this news, and also sharing plenty of motivation at the end of each episode, I also work as hard as I can to unite this country. Without question, I feel like our wide division and animosity toward those with whom we disagree is the greatest threat our country faces. So once a week, I do my best to bridge this great divide, while also reminding each of us that most of us are being played by divisive political and news figures who are ripping apart this great country just so they can reach a higher office or gain more followers and add dollars. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. While we face great challenges as a country, we have to remember that America has stood together for more than 240 years. And it's only by pulling our country closer together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. That is the reality. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point. And they're also the kind of optimistic beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. And with that out of the way, let's get started. Also, if you want to, insert some more really hip, really cool music in your head, because apparently that's the only way you can make a podcast work these days. This is the November 17th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. Uh, In this edition, we'll be discussing a ton of news, and then as always, we'll end with our motivation and wisdom section. But before we get to that, I wanted to do just two quick things. First, I want to do a shout-out to a certain industry, and then we're going to talk a bit about the news, because part of what I want to do here is educate and inform with this podcast, 
And there's been a couple or so things that happen of late that I think you can take some lessons from to apply to your own life. So first, the shout out. I was listening. I was listening to a podcast recently where a uh, the host was interviewing a cop, and I don't think I fully realized, and I realized more than most because I was in the military. Also, back in the day, was in the police department explorers back when I was a little a little nerd in high school, the age of 16. I was in that for about a year or so, if I recall correctly. Um, and I did the rappelling and helped them with like traffic at the uh, University of Tennessee football games. And we qualified with a pistol and we did all this cool stuff and got to hear stories. So I know, I know a lot of cops, a lot of my military buddies are cops, but I don't think and I know cops have had it rough the last few years especially because there were some bad apples and they hadn't policed themselves perhaps as well as they should have. And I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that statement, even the cops out there. But I don't think I fully realized that they're just getting beat up from all sides right now, um, from those who are trying to reform police departments, from good cops who are trying to get rid of bad cops right now, the public trust still isn't that great. And so I wanted to just do a shout out to cops that, you know, we take them for granted. They're getting beat up on all sides. But as I was listening to this uh, retired cop, he was talking about how when a cop retires, typically after retirement age, most of them are dead within about five years. A lot of them have moved to Florida, do security. But they it's a tough transition from being a cop to you're retired and you don't know what to do. And... I think I kind of knew that, but I didn't quite realize it was that bad. I tried to do some research on that. I couldn't find the exact statistics, but I think we all agree that that's pretty close to being the truth if it's not the truth. The other thing he mentioned was how high the suicide rate is, which, you know, we kind of, again, that's another thing that we kind of all know, but we kind of forget about. And uh, he mentioned that twice as many take their own life in the line of duty as are killed by, you know, bad guys. I tried to do some research on that as well, and, you know, not a whole lot of cops die from, you know, dangerous situations. So, it's there's it depends on the year, but from what I can tell, the suicide rate is, is probably absolutely twice as high as that, as uh, officers who are killed in the line of duty. And then the other thing he mentioned, and this is one of those other things you kind of forget, was the divorce rate, which is just out the roof, and... You know, that's a thing that, again, we all kind of know and we kind of forget. But I was just listening to him and gave me an even deeper appreciation of what cops go through. And so as you're out and about, a head nod, a wave, uh, thank you for what you're doing, sir. Thank you for what you're doing, ma'am. If you see them at a gas station or a restaurant, those are probably not bad things to do. They, they go through a lot of crap. And we all forget that most of their day is spent with the absolute, how do I say it nicely? I'm not sure how I say it nicely, but, you know, they're dealing with people that are not necessarily the best of society. And so that starts to wear on them. And so they're constantly dealing with some of the worst that are out there. And so it's a tough job. It's also an exciting job. I know people get hooked on that high reading and listening to him. I know that that's part of it when you when that is your drug in life, the action and excitement and, and also the ability to serve others. It's not like they're just looking for action, but it's amazing to help people. It's amazing to 
climb in a sewer and rescue a kitten and do all those things that they have to do, respond to calls, constantly getting the adrenaline rush. And then, of course, when they retire, it's brutal, that transition. Of course, when you've had an exciting, scary shift all day, you got to go home and then you're the husband or the father who's got to try to focus in on personal life. A lot of times working second or third shift. So being a cop's brutal. I knew that, but I had forgotten just how bad it was. And so the good ones who have stuck it out through some of these reform issues, through a lot of the name calling and stuff they've had to deal with, especially of late, we should thank them. So that's my uh, that's my my good news kind of shout out, you know, good good deed of the week, I guess. Good news was the wrong word, but the good deed of the week is if you see a cop, thank them. So that's the first thing I wanted to do. Okay, so the next thing I want to mention before we get to the major news is about news consumption. And I want to maybe at least give you guys something to think about. I wanted to say help you, but that might be a little too strong. It might make me be a little too full of myself to say quite to that level. But at the same time, I kind of think some of this needs to be said. So let's talk about uh, yesterday when the news broke that Russia had fired missiles into Poland. So I was working my day job, trying to focus on it, which is very hard to do when your mind works like my mind, and when you have Twitter, you have book ideas in your mind, and you know that you have a podcast coming up that needs to be done in about a day. It's hard to sometimes focus on work, but I was actually being good that day, and then one of the uh, co-workers on our team's chat breaks in that, holy crap, Russia has fired missiles into Poland. Now, I'm sure your feelings were pretty much exactly like mine. Um, maybe initially mine was a bit more panicked because I knew enough that Poland is a member of NATO, and I knew that any NATO member that is attacked, that's the same thing as attacking all of NATO. And so for months and months we've heard the media hype up the fact that World War III, could the Russian invasion of Ukraine lead to World War III? And I've tried to resist that and tell people not to worry about that nearly as much as they are. But when you have missiles fired into Poland, well, suddenly that all seems a lot more serious. And so for just a moment, I tried to ignore it, but I was, everyone was asking my, me my opinion, and they knew I do this podcast, and I'm fairly well-informed. And so I do just the smallest amount of research and I find an Associated Press article that at least one maybe two Russian missiles have hit in Poland two civilians killed in Poland that was pretty much all we knew at first everyone is you know rightly concerned but immediately my concern began to go down and it's because, as dumb as it sounds, I used my head. But I tried to, obviously, get everyone else to calm down and explain that NATO would not, you know, over-retaliate or over-react too strongly to what was apparently a pretty small thing, although a serious thing. But at the same time, you know, Russia might be seeing what it can get by with. But the thing that really hit me was, is why would Russia fire one or two missiles into Poland and only kill two people, which it's any loss of life is tragic, but 
that just didn't make any sense. It did, did not make sense. And that's the point I'm trying to going to try to make here for just a second. Is if Russia was going to kind of try to do some kind of first strike capability against NATO to debilitate it, you wouldn't fire one or two missiles and hit a farm. Okay? Let's think, people. So, that was the first thing. And, of course, as time has gone on, it's come out that, you know, almost... Most likely, those were Ukrainian missiles that were trying to intercept this huge barrage of Russian missiles. Because, again, Russia thinks that if it knocks out the utilities of Ukraine, they can break the Ukrainian will. I think the Russians are wrong about that, but it's their right to try. But I wanted to bring this up for a couple of reasons. The first thing is, you should use your head when you hear news that is that scary. And so I don't I don't even want to get into could it have gone into nuclear or something, but I almost wanted to tell folks like if it's if it's that bad and they launch nukes because people are starting to think the most craziest things like you know, then we're all gonna launch a ton of nukes and, and none of this is gonna matter anyway. But there are calmer heads involved. And when you actually stay engaged with the news, you realize things such as the media's constantly saying is Putin you know, is he is he losing his mind? Is he crazy? Is this guy crazy? Is he the guy walking around with a pistol who's crazy? Well, he ordered the withdrawal of forces from Kursan last week. We covered that. And that was the sane thing to do. It was the thing he did not want to do. It was embarrassing. But it saved thousands of troops, maybe as many as 10,000 or more. He did the rational thing. He is rational. So by keeping up with the news, you can realize, hey, Putin's not going to fire one or two missiles into Poland. That's crazy. Russia can't even conquer Ukraine. Why would it Why would it take on NATO? That makes absolutely no sense. And so, as my awesome listeners listen, hopefully weekly, as you, I want you all to like be able to think for yourself, because we're constantly, you know, I had a lot going on in my life that day, and we we constantly get hit with stuff like, oh, this is happening. And it's just like, whoa, just everyone just relax. And so if you can learn to think for yourself, this is a good thing. I'm also bringing this up because, and I have this in the source notes, is I try to not overhype news. I say this all the time. I, I live it, I hope. I think you guys know. The regular listeners definitely know. I live that philosophy. And... There was so much unbelievable, ridiculous reporting out there. It was horrible. I'm sure most of you saw it. What will NATO do? Blah blah blah. I mean, just and then we got to bring up the nukes again, and then we got to we got to scare everyone. We got to literally get the whole country to stop working. We got to rattle the stock market. We got to absolutely overreact to this. And I wanted to share, and it's in the source notes, that even. Media outlets that I respect, um, one of them being Task and Purpose. It's mostly a military defense newsletter. I often use parts of it in the podcast, and I saved the image, although in hindsight it wasn't even necessary because they later posted the same image with an updated headline that was even worse. But I wanted to save it because I thought they'd actually get beat up enough that they would remove it. But their headline was, 
breaking, all caps, and this was on Twitter, Russian missiles reportedly strike NATO member Poland. And of course, this happened almost within, you know, half hour or minutes of the news uh, hitting the wire, so to speak. And I know news organizations have to use graphics, because if you use graphics, people click the links and blah, 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 and a picture says a thousand words. But the picture they use is six trucks. They're multiple launch rocket system trucks. I assume they're Soviet-made. They're uh, wheeled vehicles, and they look rather old. So I'm pretty sure they at least got the Russian-Soviet part right. But there are in the mis- in the photo itself... There's smoke contrails behind all these trucks. And you can count four missiles in flight in the photo. But there's six trucks lined up. And so it's a scary photo. Four missiles in the air. Russian missiles reportedly strike NATO member Poland. That was before it was even fully confirmed. And then later they updated it. I think the words at that point was Russian missiles strike. And they use the same photo again. And so it just is a pet peeve of mine. When media organizations use scary photos, overhype things for clicks, etc., etc., when what really should have been done is the, you know, reliable news organizations, the reliable news analysts, uh, they should have been putting out, you know, calming type things like, this is odd, would not make sense for Russia just to fire one or two missiles into Poland and hit a farm, doesn't make much sense. Everyone just calm down. Everyone just relax. I had actually planned to do an emergency newsletter when all this was happening because I was so infuriated by all the overreacted, overhyped, just silliness. But retired General Mick Ryan did an unbelievable thread, which at that time, which I shared, because generally the people that follow me, if you're on Twitter they follow me there. And so he said what I wanted to say better than I could have anyway, which is that, you know, it'll be a cautious, everyone should first calm down. NATO will look at this. There will be a cautious uh, move toward any type of escalation. We're not going to suddenly declare war on Russia or do anything way drastic because two civilians were killed in Poland. He said all that better than I could have said anyway, but I shared that and I just, I wanted to share this just because I was just frustrated. And I want to, I try to avoid politics. But there's one other thing that has just absolutely bugged the crap out of me. And I'm bringing it up. So, that is the cat litter box story that for a month or two was just going viral. Especially on the right. And Joe Rogan finally, after a month of pushback, admitted that the entire thing was hoax. But I remember when I first heard this, and if you don't know, then, you know, apparently some parents heard that teachers were putting cat litter boxes in school classrooms so that kids who wanted to act like cats could use a cat litter box because they thought it was their right versus going to their use the restroom. Of course, that is the most insane story you have ever heard in your life, and that's why it went so viral. But... When I first heard it, I I was like, there is absolutely no way that's true. Just There's no way. It, it's insane. And anytime something's that crazy, it, it's just not true. It took forever. No one could ever find what school it actually originated from. People had to try to track it down. It takes forever, 
you know, for facts to catch up with a lie. So for about a month plus, this was all anyone could talk about. And everyone was calling their schools and trying to demand, is it being done there? Where is it happening? And the whole time, it was complete crap. The whole time. And so Joe Rogan has finally admitted that it was all a hoax. I'm actually one of the, uh, I haven't listened to him much in the last year or so, but I used to listen to him a lot. Um, I'm not trying to beat up Joe Rogan, but we need to be careful with the stuff that we're, we are reporting. And I don't know, I shouldn't say much more, but, you know, use your head, people. When you hear something that's just absolutely insane, it's probably not true. It would make no sense for Russia to fire two missiles. It would make no sense for Joe for any school to put a litter box in their in their in their classrooms. So let's all do better. Let's use our heads. And I managed to mostly stay out of the politics, but I think it is worth saying to yourself. I will say one more thing. The news that you've been taking in for the past, you know, months whatnot, did they call the election right beforehand? Because I keep up with a wide range of news. Most of the sources I listened to said no red wave was going to happen. I expected it to be very close, and I thought Democrats would come out on top. Pretty much what happened. So I'm just saying, if you've been listening to stuff that you were convinced it was going to be the other way, it's probably not the worst time to say, hey, maybe, maybe this news source that I trust is a little off on some of this stuff. How did they not see this? Because I don't know about you, but I don't like to be, you know, I don't I don't like to have or hear things that aren't true. And so I don't like to listen to news on the left or right that fires me up, makes me angry, whatever. So there we go. There was my lesson about news. I appreciate your patience. Hopefully you got something from that. And with that, we'll get to the real news now. All right, for the first news item, I want to briefly talk about the G20 meeting which President Biden attended. It ended up not being the G20 because President Putin of Russia was too embarrassed by the loss of Kherson, which is obviously the major capital city in the southern part of Ukraine that uh, Ukrainian troops recently recaptured. Uh, Putin was so embarrassed by that that he decided not to show up, which is not exactly the sign of strength for a leader, but it ended up being the G19. I just wanted to say just a couple or so things about that. Um, Obviously embarrassing that Putin didn't go. Um, President Biden kind of went on a high, so to speak, because he had strong election results. I was listening to a foreign policy analyst who said that usually when the G20 meets after midterms, uh, American presidents arrive there weakened because they've usually lost a lot of seats, if not both uh, chambers of com- uh, of Congress. In this case, the Republicans were able to narrowly take the House, not nearly with the kind of majority that would allow them to do very much, but uh, the Democrats retained the Senate. So President Biden went there riding high, but at the same time, so did China's president, President Xi. And so I was interested to see that it took apparently two years of negotiations, even to get the two in a room. They were supposed to have about a three-hour meeting. Not a whole lot was accomplished, but I think meetings like that are important, and I think uh, it works a little bit toward de-escalation. 
on the comments after the meeting, the United States was, you know, obviously saying that they want the Chinese to act in a responsible way and clearly not invade or attack Taiwan. And China is saying they want the United States to stay out of it, and it's a Chinese matter. So not a lot was accomplished, but I think it was important for China to see that an American president arrived to that with a pretty um, resounding, might be too strong, but at least a, a show of support for the, I guess, the way that his party is handling things in the country. So it would have been worse for America if he had gone there, seen as a weak leader. Wanted to share that. Got a link to it in the source notes, but you can find lots of news about that meeting and um, the facts after the, afterward, which again, not a whole lot was done, but it was good to have the meeting. And, you know, the G7 is a lot of countries that have mostly been in alignment against Russia. But the G20 or G19 includes countries that aren't necessarily on the same page with um, the United States. So it's a lot, it's a broader mix of leaders and it's not as easy for the United States to drive the agenda, so to speak. So challenging thing. I'm sure months and months of work went into making that happen. So that happened. I'm glad a meeting happened. I'm glad that China got to see, you know, just see an American president, his staff show up, see the amount of preparedness they have. You know, you you measure how a country handles meetings such as that. And to my knowledge, anyway, I don't think President Biden made any blunders, which is something that you always worry about. He can often speak off the cuff even though he's had, you know, 30 plus years of political experience, he can sometimes not read or say what he's supposed to do. And so none of that happened. So that meeting's happened. I'm glad it went as well as it could have. And let's move to the next topic. Okay, we're going to move to Ukraine. And there's basically two things I want to cover regarding Ukraine. The first being... Obviously, Russia is still trying to knock out utilities with large missile strikes and more air-to-air -air weapons from the West are arriving, including from America. So that should continue to weaken those attacks. Um, and then we're also sending increasingly uh, specialist or basically parts and folks who can figure out how best to fix the utilities and electrical grid. Um, I guess I should clarify, I'm not saying America is, but there are other countries that have mentioned they are sending folks there to help make sure that the utilities are shored, shored up as much as they can before this cold winter really sets in. So wanted to share that the biggest news, and not a ton has happened there, but is the split that's starting to happen in the U.S. administration. And what I mean is, is there were comments made last week by uh, General Mark Milley, who's the Joint Chiefs Chairman. Um, he's a four-star general, very high up in the military. Actually, I guess as high as you can get in the military. He serves right under the Secretary of Defense. But he said that with winter approaching, it's a good opportunity to begin negotiations with Russia. 
that caused a huge scramble because the Biden administration wants to appear to be on the same page. And so there's a lot of disagreement, I guess, as to whether Ukraine will be able to continue making advances through the winter or if things will bog down. And even among a military analyst, there seemed to be some disagreement about that. I tend to side with some of the analysts that I regularly quote on here who believe that the fighting will continue to be fluid and that Ukraine can make advances. So the Biden administration is just trying to make sure it's all on the same page because Ukraine did not like those signals and Ukraine is clearly still not in the mood to talk to Russia as far as negotiating. So we've covered that several episodes about why Ukraine doesn't want to talk. They've endured too many losses, too many casualties, too many atrocities. And there was actually a uh, speech that President Zelensky gave, a uh, media briefing, I guess is the right term, where he explained that in the beginning of the war, he tried numerous times to negotiate with Russia, and Vladimir Putin wouldn't even take his calls. And any time someone under Vladimir Putin talked with President Zelensky, the only thing that he was presented with were absolute demands of surrender and just just unbelievable, impossible demands that Zelensky couldn't meet. And so now that Ukraine's starting to win, everyone's trying to push Ukraine into negotiating. And Zelensky just wanted people to remember that Putin didn't want to negotiate when he was winning. And so when things are flipped, why would Ukraine not want to completely regain all the territory that it's lost? So Ukraine's not in a position where it wants to negotiate, and Washington, at least for the most part, when I say Washington, I guess I should say the Biden administration, but even the Republicans following the recent elections, everyone continues to show pretty good support for Ukraine from what I can tell, and so the fighting will continue, and we hope that Ukraine will continue to make good gains. The second thing I wanted to mention about Ukraine was President Zelensky literally visited the troops in Kherson, which is just unbelievable. Uh, retired Major John Spencer was saying that Zelensky got within about 10 kilometers of the front lines. Now, 10 kilometers, especially for Americans who aren't very good with kilometers to miles, that doesn't really mean a lot. But let me just kind of explain how close that is. That's about six miles. And not that I'm some kind of math genius, I actually had to look it up, but six miles is well within artillery range. So the president of Ukraine literally visited troops in a town they just took, in a town, or I shouldn't say town, it's a capital city, in a capital city where they are still rounding up Russian troops who are wearing civilian clothes. The president of Ukraine, again, showed just incredible courage to visit that front line. And uh, retired Major John Spencer shared that he is still in awe of him, that he's a historic hero. And it's still, it's it's hard to wrap your mi mind around the fact that he was six miles from the front line. Like I said, artillery, 155 millimeter. Most, most of those fire about 10 miles or so. And then there's some additional ammunition and rocket-propelled ammunition for it that will allow them to fire even further. But he was within basic artillery range of 155 millimeter. He was obviously in an area that Russian troops are still being rounded up, and he visited there. And that's not to even 
under, or it doesn't it underscores the fact that there are these drones that obviously can drop munitions. But besides that, there are these like kamikaze drones that if they saw a presidential convoy of armored vehicles, they could have flown one of these in. The Russians could have. So it's not only heroic, but the thing that I, the reason I'm mentioning it is besides the heroism and the complete embodiment of leadership, it also shows how well things are going in Ukraine's way. That they could send that convoy and have the president feel safe that close to the front line, not worried about drones, not worried about artillery fire. It's it's almost mind-boggling. Not to mention, uh, you know, any kind of Russian airstrike. You know, Russia's still got some fighters. Some, they're not even worried about those. Six miles from the front where they don't have major anti-air assets that could have shot down some of these things. It's un honestly just mind-boggling. So definitely wanted to share that because I, t I still can't really wrap my arms around it. I think earlier he visited the front on the east part of uh, the eastern front in Donbass at the very beginning when it was kind of really ugly out there. And he hid in some trenches and there were these photos and you're like, wow. But... I was like, you know, that's crazy. But at the same time, he went with a very small entourage. I think he needed to go because Ukraine wasn't necessarily winning then. And so it made more sense as far as a political calculation of risking his life for the return on value of inspiring the country. But when you're winning, to take such a risk is, you know, it's a different calculation. And, and certainly not as necessary, but there's a reason he's so popular in Ukraine, and he continues to earn that popularity. So, got source notes to that. You can see the speech he gave. It's about a minute 50, one minute 50 seconds long. That's in the source notes. And so, take a look at that if you get two seconds. The next thing I wanted to share was a little bit of news about Iran. And this is funny because... Obviously, I pause it between sections to make sure I got my points down. And the funny thing is, I had something in the source notes, which I'm going to keep there, that the Iranian parliament had voted to overwhelmingly, 227 to 63, to execute 15,000 protesters that had been arrested. This was obviously horrible news, and I was going to mention that. And so, But just before sharing that, it was from a human rights attorney, and it had been shared by even folks like uh, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So Trudeau, I, I believe, is the way that some people pronounce it. But lo and behold, <laughs> I just looked it up because I wanted to see if any of these executions had started because I assumed that this would escalate the uprising that's happening in Iran to go from a peaceful protest to if they're going to execute 15,000 people, then I think the people are going to start you know, arming themselves to overthrow the government. And lo and behold, the news that was shared by so many is false. And I believe it was originally reported in Newsweek that this was originally put out in. And at any rate, it's, it's false. And so they have voted to execute two, although those still have the option for an appeal. So I'm putting the link for NBC News to allow, if you want to go read and get into the weeds on that. But not a lot has happened in Iran, but 
like I said, this little section didn't go exactly as I expected, but if I had known it would go this way, I would have put it in the first section when we talked about using your mind and just thinking before you believe something. Because, again, fifteen to execute 15,000 people, that's like Saddam Hussein level crazy right there. And it's obviously not true, at least not yet. So that's the news. We'll keep an eye on what happens. They do have a lot of people arrested but as of now, at least, that's not happening. Finally, I wanted to share one bit of news out of Haiti. We had mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, that there could be troops sent there. Uh, local criminal gangs had been stopping supplies and gas and humanitarian aid from being distributed, and they were basically more powerful than the military and the cops there. And so Haiti's government was wanting some assistance while the... At least for now, the criminal gangs have allowed some of the stuff to start flowing again. So there's now gas at the pumps and some humanitarian aid beginning to happen. So not real sure what all went into making that happen, but I'm glad that happened. And hopefully that doesn't end up requiring some type of U.S. intervention or something. So not real sure exactly what happened. I have all kinds of speculations, but I didn't get time to research it, so I'm not even going to throw them out. But... Wanted to make sure I shared that for sure. And with that out of the way, we'll go into the motivation and wisdom section, which is, of course, the best part of the show. And today, it's going to be just a little bit more in-depth than even normal because I had a couple things I wanted to say. Okay, guys, so we'll move to the motivation and inspiration part now. I wanted to say just real quick, just a short little intro, which I'll probably repeat every week because sometimes it helps to get things to sink in by hearing them repeated. And I know some people think that Motivational quotes are crap, they don't work, and I frankly completely disagree, and one of the things I've always wanted to be was an encourager, and so I want to encourage you as much as I can, obviously, but for those who say that motivational quotes don't work, you know, I went to a rough school, and going to that school, not everyone graduated, not everyone made it out, and certainly not all of them, everyone made it through college or, or to where they probably wanted to get in life because it's hard to be around people that don't believe that suck the energy out of you or that are just beaten down by life or poverty or just difficult circumstances, um, whether it's a single parent, etc. But for me, at least, having books that I read, having dreams, having idols that I looked up to, whether it's sports figures or people in history, all of those things helped me. And I know that you guys know this, that if you go to a sales conference or something for like a couple of days or just some type of leadership event or just some type of really on fire type event and you're around positive people, you are just like, show me the wall, I'll run through it. You're just fired up. But then if you go home and there's some family members or friends who don't believe in you and they're like, oh, that won't work or you can't do that, it just immediately sucks the life out of you. So I know that, you know, people say motivation doesn't last, but I think that motivation is something that absolutely can help you get to where you want to go. And, you know, I believe all of us can reach our dreams. And I definitely want to do my part to help you get there. So that's why I put these in every week. It's my hope that they really help you. You know, people say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing, and that's why we recommend it daily. And that's what the great Zig Ziglar said. So that's why I try to put these in every week. So I really hope you get something uh, from them. And with that, let's just get started. All right, guys, every week I say the same thing. You can find all of these 
folks that I'm quoting from, they almost all come from Twitter. You can find them in the source notes. They're great people to follow if you are on Twitter. Before I read them this time, though, I wanted to say just a quick thing, which is that, like, um, it sounds weird or whatnot, but I, I see this whole thing I'm doing almost like a ministry, I guess. I like reaching out and helping people, and I don't know. It, it just constantly hits me as I see and talk to friends and hear stories and this and that, that there are like a lot of people out there that are hurting. There are a lot of people out there that are making excuses, that are in a rut, that are stuck, etc., etc. And so if you're listening to this and you're not one of those people, but you know someone who might be, um, I really feel like I could potentially help them. And I say that because, you know, my life is, is going pretty well right now. I'm at, you know, whatever performance level of 10 is maximum. Um, you know, things are going fairly well. I'm exercising, I'm riding, I'm doing lots of stuff. But I've also been down to that seven or six and a half in tough emotional periods and all that. But I only say that as background because even though I'm performing pretty well and life is going fairly well, although I did get a recent diagnosis for a family member that worries me and I'm praying about. But besides that, I still feed myself. And I recently started listening to this uh, veteran who helps other veterans. I'm not going to name the guy. But a lot of times he helps folks who are uh, often disabled veterans, and this veteran's able to help them because they'll say, you know, I got hurt or I've got this issue or, you know, you don't understand, I went to the war, I did this or that. And this particular veteran has seen a lot of crap, done multiple tours, been wounded as well, and he's like, yeah, okay, and? Like, what else you got? I'm dealing with that too. Every day I get out of bed, my freaking back hurts. Yeah, I'm technically disabled on the VA, you know, chart, blah, blah, blah. And he's, so he really pushes back on these guys. And he'll he'll name some, there are some uh, pretty famous amputees out there. You know, one guy's missing two legs and an arm, and he's out trying to do, like, modified, you know, triathlons and just very inspiring people that have just been absolutely knocked down, kicked, everything else, and they're just still pushing. And uh, this is a really long introduction, but... Even though I'm performing well, I've been listening to this guy a lot lately, and man, it has been firing me up. It's been making me a uh, definitely a better husband, a better athlete, a better mentor to a few folks that I help, and I only say all that because I, I'm pretty, pretty, I'm doing pretty well with whatever my optimum speed is, and listening to this guy has helped, and so... If you know someone who's not doing well that you think I might be a good fit for, maybe tell them about the show because I know just speaking literally for myself, listening to people sometimes helps, beating off of their, you know, things they've, their experiences, the things they've gone through, the wisdom they've heard, come across, share, etc. And so I really feel like that I really enjoy this part of the show. I really feel like it could help some people, and I'd love to help some more. And actually, I, I should say that we, uh, not that we're like some huge show or something, but we are actually up to, our listening numbers are much larger than the subscription numbers, obviously. But we actually broke a hurdle, and we now have 300 people just cleared. I think we're at 301 now. Now over 301 people, I think, that are signed up, 
getting this in their email, email box every single week. And I have no idea how many are signed up through the various podcast channels, but that's clearly a larger number. But I don't know how many of those are like, they're like literally following the show or they just listen because I can't see those numbers. So, but anyway, pretty pumped about the 301. So if you think this would help someone, please share it. I think that, uh, I think, I think it could help them. All right. So again, I'm just going to read these. I'll try to keep my mouth shut and just read them. All right. First one. It may be stormy now, but it can't rain forever. That is a good one. <laughs> it may be stormy now, but it can't rain forever. I just chuckle because uh, every week I, I try to figure out what to say afterward. I feel like I say the same things every single week, but hopefully it doesn't annoy you guys too much. And I don't feel like I feel like I got to say something. But anyway, all right. The first one was it may be stormy now, but it can't rain forever. Next one. The smarter you get, the less you speak. Another good one. The smarter you get, the less you speak. And I think we've all heard the one that there's no point in arguing with an idiot. You just, you can't win. <laughs> so the next one. The best is yet to come. Be patient. The best is yet to come. Be patient. This was shared by uh, Command Sergeant Major Curry. I, um, I feel like I share one of his about every week. Your confidence should be fueled by belief in yourself instead of validation from others. I'll read that one again. Your confidence should be fueled by belief in yourself instead of validation from others. We all want validation, but you're not always going to get that from your boss or your peers. doesn't mean you're not improving, and it definitely doesn't mean you may not be doing well. You may be doing well, and it's frustrating, but you gotta, sometimes you got to cheer yourself on. Next one. You can only lead by being willing to walk alone. You can only lead by being willing to walk alone. Next one. Today is an opportunity to get better. Don't waste it. Again, it is. Today is an opportunity to get better. Don't waste it. Next one. Stop trying to fit in and discover how amazing you can be. Again, stop trying to fit in and discover how amazing you can be. Next one. The best is yet to come. Be patient. Again, the best is yet to come. Be patient. Next one, quote from Abraham Lincoln. The best thing about tomorrow is that it comes one day at a time. Again, the best thing about tomorrow is that it comes one day at a time. It reminds me of a um, part of a devotional book I once read that talked about you see the mountains up ahead and you're worried about how you're going to get up them. But the reality is, is that as you get there, you may there may be a path around the mountain. You may not even have to climb it. Or if you actually do have to climb it, there may be, you'll see trails, you'll see handhelds, maybe someone left a rope, maybe someone has done this before you, and we always fear the future because it's too big to define, it's too big to walk through, you know, ascend, and so we build it up a lot of times a lot worse than what it actually is, right? So the best thing about tomorrow is that it take it comes one day at a time. I would even add, there's only today, so just, just deal with what you can today. Next one, self-reminder. You're still young, and you're not supposed to have your whole life figured out yet. Don't stress. Everything will work out. I'll read it again. Self-reminder. You're still young, and you're not supposed to have your whole life figured out yet. Don't stress. Everything will work out. 
Next one. The past is in your head, but the future is in your hands. Again, the past is in your head, but the future is in your hands. Next one. Stop hating yourself for everything you aren't. Start loving yourself for everything that you are. Again, stop hating yourself for everything that you aren't. Start loving yourself for everything that you are. Next one. Don't be content. Don't be satisfied. Stay hungry. Stay ambitious. Stay striving. Stay succeeding. One more time. Don't be content. Don't be satisfied. Stay hungry. Stay ambitious. Stay striving. Stay succeeding. Next one. A year from now, you will wish you had started today. Isn't that a good one? A year from now, you will wish you had started today. Next one. I don't care who is doing better than me. I am doing better than I was last year. It's me versus me. Again, I don't care who is doing better than me. I am doing better than I was last year. It's me versus me. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.com. .substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone, call a friend or a family member, do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide, so I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath, breathe, call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. 
There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the um, social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books because, honestly, the airspace is free. And also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you. So I will briefly describe them real quickly. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, It's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out, and that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. He moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town, and he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it, loads of action, a couple of cops die before the end of book one, and if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also a book two. Book one is called Takedown. Book two is called Gravel Road, and it may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. I get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what um, the prior Force Recon Marine goes through. His name is Danny Acuff, by the way. And then I've also got book one of a private investigator series done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking. Uh, There's plenty of action in it as well, and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl... Um, is hot, and she takes part in the chase. So uh, that book is called Hell in the Mountains. And then I've got a couple of realistic war novels. One's about World War II. It's called Soldier On. And I talk about, or I write about the end of World War II, an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the German army is just trying to survive. They know the war is lost, but they're trapped from, on one side, you know, the advancing American troops, and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So it, really, the book is it's it's pretty deep, and so it the, it digs into the realities of military leadership, and as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish, and will they survive with their honor and dignity? And I think you know, and I've been told this that Soldier On just truly defines what it means to be a soldier to never give up. And then I've also got a realistic war novel about Afghanistan. It's called Hill 406. It's about a couple of Marines who couldn't be more different, and they get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation, and it's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some Marines. Had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there, which is about the highest honor I could possibly get. Um... And then finally, I've got one other book I wanted to mention just real quickly. And then the final book I mentioned is, actually, it's a part biography, part self-help, all-inspiration type book uh, about Barack Obama, but includes absolutely no politics, no left-right issues. It's literally just a non-political look at Obama's rise. And 
I try to answer questions that many wonder about American presidents. What sets them apart? What qualities allowed them to reach their goals where others failed? How can you cultivate those qualities in yourself? And besides that, I also share some things about him that you may not know, such as, throw out a couple. Did you know that before he ran for the U.S. Senate, he was crushed by a four-term incumbent who beat him by a two-to-one margin? Most people aren't aware of that. He also coached his uh, Sasha's fourth-grade recreational basketball team called the Vipers while president. That was not super well-known. And then also, the craziest thing, as he's known for being a speaker, did you know that when he started, he actually wasn't even a good speaker? He admits that himself. So I'll talk about several things I've found out about him as I researched him some, and I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you, kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking, how he overcome just so many obstacles, including that huge like two-to-one election defeat that I mentioned above. And it's the first in what I think will be a number of presidential books, assuming they sell well enough. And so it's the first one will be on him, and the next one will be on a Republican. I've kind of started that one, but I put it on hold until I try to see what the interest level is on some type of um, series of books such as this. Some folks don't like the political angles, but again, if you can get past the cover and the name, it's not a political angle. It's inspiration it's self-help type stuff and so you know i think you can learn a lot from presidents and i could go for on for probably hours honestly about how it's crazy some of the people who end up becoming president and the things they do to get there but again i won't get into it too much but that book is called number 44 the traits and characteristics that carried barack obama to the top the, how he managed to, with his name, with the background, the mixed background, the lack of money, and the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was, is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book, in my humble opinion. So that's called Number 44. You can check that out as well. So I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway, but for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much, and with that, I am out.